Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left, and everything that is left is right. I'm your host, Scott Siri. As always, before we get started, I wanted to say that I thank you for being here. I appreciate your support. I love it that you're tuning in and listening to my ridiculous dad jokes. I would also love it if you could click that like button, the comment button, share it, send it out to your network, and then we can all have a laugh at my expense. So last week we dipped into writing and speaking. We talked about how those that are left of normal generally have difficulty processing information quickly enough, determining the appropriate response, and then formulating a sentence that allows us to communicate clearly when we are speaking. Therefore, it's often easier to use written communication. Something that I have been able to turn into a business where I don't have to deal with ornery co-workers or other obnoxious people. A little addition to that cast, I did realize that often when I do try to process words clearly and formulate the right sentences to accurately convey the idea or thought that I am considering, I speak slower. I pause more often, which leads me to be interrupted on a more frequent basis, and ultimately I still don't get to accurately distribute the words that I'm currently contemplating. This week, I want to look back, way back at times, to see some of the earlier spectrum signs that were completely missed when I was younger, uh, both by myself and various adults in my life. Uh, Many of them I only now realize that what I was doing was an early sign of being on the spectrum, and a lot of them have actually carried on into my adult life. Some of them, I outgrew them, or I guess I learned how to not do those things as much. Anyway, yesterday on the Facebook page, I posted a little meme about lining up toys, lining things up. So we're going to go ahead and start there with the... uh, just putting things in a nicely neat little line. Growing up, I was often a little bit more organized than I am today. Uh, At least I remember it as being organized. Someone with an outside perspective may not have seen it as quite the same. I still have a number of systems uh, for organization, but after Al Gore invented the internet, I tend to waste quite a bit of time scrolling mindlessly as I escape from reality, rather than organizing, clean my house, office, shop, or whatever. Back then, however, back in the day, back when I was a child growing up, uh, on through my teenage years, I organized things that often in a quite linear fashion, similar to just straight lining up toys, which I think I did that too. I distinctly remember lining up uh, micro machines and other toy cars, but I don't know if I did it with all my toys. I think I did, though. Put them in a nice, neat little line, then they're all, like, ready to go. They're they're excited. Uh, my more distinct memories of it, however, are organizing the desk area in my bedroom uh, with my stereo and a handful of CDs. So probably... 13 to 17 years old, somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly when I got my stereo or started getting interested in music. In our house, uh, it was not a big musical house. Uh, We 
sometimes listen to music when we were on road trips. Other than that, it was more or less silent, and a large part was we weren't allowed to listen to secular music growing up. So anyways, back then I had my CDs, my stereo, and this was before music went digital, so we maintained physical albums. My CD collection was shiny and costly, with about 12 to 15 albums lined up neatly, alphabetically, by artist, and I could motion with my hand to my $200-ish worth of music. Over next to my bed, I had a, uh, it was, I guess it was a nightstand, but I can't remember exactly what this thing looked like, but I believe it was one of those kind of a plastic bin. It's got a couple plastic drawers. Usually you see them in a classroom and they hold art supplies or something like that. Anyway, on top of one of these, I had all my treasures that I had found recently. I uh, Things like porcupine quills, wooden railroad spikes, neat little rocks, maybe a knick-knack from an event or something that I attended. I know at least the railroad spikes were lined up in order of biggest to smallest. They were presented nicely that way, and I thought they looked neat when they were organized in a linear fashion. Downstairs, we had a game room. Uh, back, it was kind of weird room tucked behind the living room had no windows back there so really it wasn't suitable for a bedroom or anything like that but it was a is an okay play space uh later as we got me and my brothers we got older the game room toy room shifted to from more fewer games and toys more like collections such as our baseball cards and then as we got even older it turned into like a home gym a little workout area nothing major small weight bench and like a exercise bike or something like that so as a middle schooler kind of a 10 to 13 years old was when my brother and I were super into baseball cards and we'd spend hours in there organizing them sorting them essentially just lining them up I uh, even into Uh, even into early adulthood, I would kind of keep these, I kind of kept these baseball cards. I I don't really have as many baseball cards anymore. I do still enjoy them. I have a couple of them. Actually, I actually have a Pete Rose card right above my computer that I'm looking at right now. So into adulthood, uh, early adulthood, at least college age, this to this day, I don't really eat as much candy as when I was younger. I don't really care for the sweetness. Give me something salty. But into the college days, at least, I organized candy by type and color. Color. You pour out the whole bag of Skittles, arrange it by color, and then you eat the outliers. So if there's, like, say, seven green ones, but only four or five of the others, the sixth and seventh green ones are the first to go. So everything is organized and matching. I do believe my son has inherited this trait from me. For Halloween this year, he dumped out all the candy he received, and then he organized it by name and recorded on a piece of paper how many types of each candy he got and ran around saying, I got 37 miniature Twix bars. Now, as an adult, I have some things that are rather similarly organized, uh, like I, when I was a child. 
Uh, baseball cards, obviously, not as much. I have that one, and I believe they're all packed away in a box somewhere. But books have become one of my bigger collections. Uh, and those are organized, actually, in several linear fashions. One bookshelf in the living room is for nonfiction, sorted alphabetically by author. The other bookshelf bookshelf in the living room is sorted is for fiction, also sorted by author. The shelf in my office is for business or self-help type books, also sorted alphabetically by author. Now, except for the top shelf of this smaller one in my office here, which is my to-be-read section, it's looking more like a pile than a uh, good lineup of books. But anyway, at least the first eight of them, they're not sorted by author because they're sorted by which one will I read next. So I pull from the right-hand side, and that's, that's the next book I get to read. Other than it often gets interrupted by the book that I have to read for book club. So as I was prepping for this podcast, another memory popped into my mind about the uh, antique tools that I collected for a while. I used to buy these dirty, rusted out old hand planes and I'd completely restore them. And I I know I have a picture somewhere, I'll have to dig it out, but I have them all lined up on the workbench in my garage. Or I used to anyway, they're packed away in a box now. Seems like all my collections go into boxes. When I worked at an office job, I had to wear button-up shirts. Uh, since those types of shirts didn't really get dirty after one or two wears, I would take the shirt off at the end of the day, I'd put it on a hanger and place it on the right-hand side of the closet. The next day in the morning, I grabbed a shirt from the left-hand side of the closet. Now, this was for multiple reasons, but largely to ensure that I didn't accidentally wear the same shirt twice in a row, or at least within a few days of each other. My sock and underwear drawer has a similar lineup, although I pull from the right instead of the left, and clean undies go on the left. My t-shirt's in my dresser follow the same routine. Two stacks of them, uh, fresh shirts, freshly laundered ones go to the bottom of the pile on the right, uh, and then I draw from the top of the pile on the left. It all ensures that my clothing has equal opportunity to wear and be worn, and nothing ends up being neglected. Let's scroll on back to childhood again, and one of the characteristics of a left of normal child is that they tend to follow the rules. Well, it's much easier to encourage obedience uh, when you explain the why behind the rule. Many of us on the spectrum do as we're told because we are told to do as we're told. It's not that we aren't able to break a rule or to lie. It's that we are told this is how it's done. This is how society functions. And if a normie, especially in a normie in a in an authority position, says that's how it's supposed to be done, who are we to argue about that? For me, I don't really have any highly specific stories uh, about strictly following the rules, other than uh, when I was reprimanded during school, it generally caused me great grief. Uh, I was bad, I was naughty, and then I regret or remorse and guilt was enough to tear me up for days. My son is a bit more of a rabble-rouser than I ever was, but he's still fairly similar in his ability to follow the rules. Uh, the ADHD in him, however, tends to overcome his uh, logic 
brain at times, and he gets in a little more trouble than I ever did. But when he was around three or four years old, he wanted to go do something, maybe go to the park or go out to eat for pizza for dinner, or maybe just like eat an entire cake or pie just because. I can't remember exactly what his request was. Um, It wasn't really in his best interest, nor was it in my best interest. And so I turned him down. I said, no. And he asked, why not? And I said, well, because you sneaked candy off the kitchen counter. There was a little handful of candy. I can't remember if it was around Halloween, where the candy came from. It was sitting on the edge of the kitchen counter, and I had no idea if he actually stole some of it. But I did know he was honest enough to admit if he did, or he would react innocently and genuinely if he did not. After I said that, his eyes went wide and he looked at me and he's like, how did you know? I just smiled at him and I said, I'm a parent. We know these things. Now, part of following the rules and kind of a, a, to an extent, even lining up toys or other treasures is an attempt at perfectionism. Generally speaking, those of us that are left of normal want to do things the right way because we need to avoid embarrassment. We want to fit in or otherwise we don't want to accidentally make any social faux pas. That leads uh, many of us to be what could be called perfectionists. Often on the spectrum, uh, individuals are of higher than average intelligence. Part of that is because we see academics as a way that we can excel Uh, Perhaps other areas of life are not as easy to excel in, so learning is given more of a focus and more of our attention. What that leads to, however, is a long-established track record of being at or near the top of the class. Great, if not perfect, marks on all our tests and papers is a logical conclusion, a logical result of that. But if we do happen to receive a grade of less than around a 96%, we feel like we didn't try hard enough and didn't work at it and or we didn't study long enough and it's not what we sought out to achieve. In high school, friends and I would collaborate on which classes to take the next semester or maybe even the next year. Some of the classes were required. You didn't really get a choice if you wanted to take 10th grade English class, say, but you did get a choice if you wanted Dr. Battaglia's English class or Mr. Evans's English class or one of the other many teachers that taught the class that fulfilled your 10th grade English requirement. Suppose I had one of those teachers during the fall semester and a friend was looking at taking that class from them in the spring semester. And they would ask how hard the class was, how hard the teacher was, what what my thoughts were and everything. And I recall talking to my friend Mark about this. I don't know if it was specifically English class, but he was asking about a class. And I said, oh, yeah, just study, turn your work in on time, ask a question or two in class, you'll pass, no problem. And he responded with, well, I'm not worried about passing. I want to get an A. I realized when he said pass the class, or sorry, when I said pass the class, I didn't mean eek by with a D plus or a C minus. When I said pass the class, I meant get an A, because anything less than an A, in my mind, was you might as well have failed the class. Part of learning and part of uh, doing quite well in school 
is having an appetite for reading. Now, these days, people can certainly accumulate knowledge by listening to books just as easily as they can by reading them. Although I believe it's a bit different and reading will end up uh, doing more for you because you have to process the information a little bit better rather than have it given to you. Anyway, uh, back in the day, you physically had to turn pages to consume a book. There were a number of books on tape, of course. Uh, the average novel, though, was like 37 cassette tapes long, and you're constantly flipping them over. And eventually they went on to CDs, but then they're still like six or seven CDs long. The audio quality was always bad, heavy on the bass, and a couple of times I remember listening to them in the car ride, I ended up with a massive headache because of the terrible sound quality. But as a kid, I read a lot. And we encourage reading in this house as well. Studies show that children who grew up in homes with 80 to 350 books display higher than average intelligence. Uh, you may be wondering, you know, if 350 is good, why not 450 and et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Uh, the study that I read anyway, it says after you get more than 350 books in the household, there's really no discernible increase or improvement for intelligence uh, as you're growing up. But this does beg the question, do the books lead to a higher intelligence or do people with higher intelligence tend to have more books? Either way, more books and more reading is never a bad thing. Now, of course, it can lead to a special interest in reading or even collecting books and then piling them up on top of your bookshelf in an attempt to read all of them but never actually having enough time to do so. These days, I tend to like having read more than reading. I enjoy watching my bookshelf fill up with books that I have read and know the plot and understand and have accumulated the knowledge and put it into my practice in my life. Many left of normal people take things literally. Uh, for me, I've developed a strong sense of sarcasm. I find it to be an be intellectual when used properly. Most people, however, really suck at it. They just straight up lie instead of using sarcasm, and then they laugh when they fool me. And because you may suck at sarcasm, it's not discernible as sarcasm, and then so I just take your word for it, because why would you lie about something so mundane? I'm not going to go into too much more detail on taking things literally. Sensory issues with clothing. Uh, it can be hard to identify in children. Often, it comes out as, I don't like that shirt, or those pants, or that coat, or whatever it is. They can't quite put into words and articulate that Old Navy, while their boxers are quite comfortable and fit well, have a really stupid tag that they insist on putting on every single pair. So, Every time I buy a new pair of underwear, I painstakingly unstitch the tag so that it doesn't scratch the small of my back where my tramp stamp is. Or will be, because I don't have it yet. Still on the list of tattoos to get. As a child, I didn't wear some clothes that I received because they just didn't feel right. I had no idea how to express it. I just knew that something was off too big, too small, cuffs were too tight, tag was too scratchy, too loose, I don't know. So I, those clothes just really never got worn. 
and I believe that's one of the reasons that now I tend to just wear the same thing over and over. It's kind of hard to find clothing that feels right. And that and a lot of clothes are just stupidly expensive for some reason. Ever since I was uh, in middle school, I struggled with sleeping. And I, I did learn that it was a comorbidity trait with ADHD. So I'm kind of still looking into that to see where this insomnia or not even really insomnia, just undesire to sleep comes from. The thing is, I don't really know why I often don't even get tired. I've always operated quite well on fewer hours of sleep than most people. And the struggles with sleep, I don't believe, are due to not being able to turn my brain off. Not that I know of anyway. So at least starting in middle school and then on up through, you know, forever. Uh, but in middle school, I sh shared a brother, I shared a room with my brother. And this was where I kind of noticed this uh, difference in sleep patterns. His bed was in one corner, mine was in the other corner. He has a big enough room that we weren't really that close to each other, but in the same room. I don't really recall what time he would go to sleep, but it was always before I went to sleep. And so I would just click my bedside lamp on and read books until midnight or so and find, before I finally turned in. When I was first married, uh, we would often go to bed at the same time at 10 o'clock after finishing up whatever TV show happened to be on that t at that time. This is back in the day before streaming services, so it was we were kind of a slave to channels 2, 4, 8, and 10, or whatever they were, and whatever they happened to air, that's what we watched. My wife would just fall asleep like right away, and I would lie there and stare at the ceiling. Of course, she wouldn't fall asleep if I was especially restless, and I'd be flopping around and keeping her up, and she'd yell at me, stop making so much noise, go to sleep, you're keeping me up. Eventually, I realized there was no point in me going to bed when I was still very much awake. And so I started just, she would go to bed, I'd say goodnight, and I'd sit in the living room and I'd read. We didn't have a ton of space in that house, so if I wanted to watch TV, that would have regardless of how quiet it was, would have almost certainly woken her up. Now, I admit that I often go to bed when I'm not tired still, but I know that if it hits 11 o'clock or shortly after, and if I don't at least try to go to sleep, I'm going to be horrifically tired in the morning and all day long until the nighttime comes around when I, again, cannot fall asleep. Those with autism are said to have meltdowns. Uh, from the per outside perspective, it's when the autistic person doesn't get his or her own way and they throw a little temper tantrum fit over it. Uh, what this actually is, however, it's more of a carnal or really base reaction for when frustration really sets in. Not understanding what's going on is incredibly frustrating. And when you can't figure out the appropriate response or you can't really figure out how to handle something, your body tends to, or your mind, your body, everything just reverts right back to like when you were a child and you threw a little temper tantrum. I don't ever recall meltdowns in the temper tantrum sense of the word. 
uh, as I was growing up. However, it did take me years to see what my meltdowns actually were, what they looked like. And I realized, oh, hey, I do have these things. So when I applied to work at Clydehurst Christian Ranch uh, the summer after my senior year of high school, one of my references uh, before I applied before, you know, the summer came around, that's when we were supposed to start. One of my references told the camp director, who was in charge of hiring at the time, that I had anger issues. He said I struggled to control my temper and uh, often lashed out. Uh, as the school year was drawing to a close, summer was approaching, I needed to get things lined up. I hadn't heard back. I called him. This is what uh, I heard. That's what I heard from him. Now, this was just a few years after my mom had died, and I explained, well, maybe this person has only seen me uh, in that grieving process. Maybe they, I don't know who it was, but perhaps they don't know where I am now, and they are remembering from, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And they're probably recalling the struggles that I had as a young teenager dealing without a mom. Um, anyway, scroll back to some of the earlier episodes if you want to hear about working at Clydehurst. It wasn't until like 20-some years later, and I was in my 30s, I had a better understanding of autism, uh, being on the spectrum, Asperger's, being left of normal, whatever you want to call it. I understood what it was all about, and I recognized my meltdowns aren't uh, temper tantrums and throwing, just screaming and yelling and banging my head and whatever else. It's more irritation and angry outbursts. Most of them probably look very over the top or out of proportion to the situation at hand. And if you were watching, you'd be left wondering why that particular thing upset me so much. I see it a lot more now as a parent. And when I'm parenting and my son is acting like an absolute doofus. Uh, Some would probably say it's age-appropriate behavior. But it's not the calm obedience that I expected at the time. It was unknown. It was a surprise. It wasn't predictable. And then I end up lashing out. And, you know, I yell and scream and hoot and holler. Maybe I slam a door or two, whatever. Uh, Generally, if it's over the top, if I'm especially mean, if he, you know, if it was really just a innocent behavior on his part and I just went nuts. I make sure to apologize after I've had some time to calm down. Very uh, good way for any parent out there. Make sure you admit your faults because your kids need to know that you are not perfect. Anyway, we're getting close to the end here. Bear with me. We've gone longer than most of these episodes do. Just a couple more points to ponder. Many of us left of normal struggle not only to make friends, but also to keep friends. Our blunt honesty can come across as rude, which a lot of times it is, but we just, we tell it how it is. That's just, you know, what, what's going on in our minds. Our turning down of social events, uh, although is a form of self-care and to keep us sane, it's seen as though we don't want to spend time with you. And then, of course, those meltdowns can be rather embarrassing for anyone around us and they just want to keep their distance. So pro tip for those who know someone who is on the spectrum, we want friends and we like people. We tolerate people. 
we just don't get you guys sometimes, and it's a whole lot of work to cater to normie expectations. When I was younger, I had a couple friends that just got me. They didn't judge. They didn't care that I was an absolute weirdo. And they just enjoyed spending time with me. We all enjoyed spending time together. As I got older and peers got more judgmental, those friendships waned and there weren't quite as many uh, peers around that enjoyed spending time with me. At one point, I lamented to my mom about how I don't have any friends. I don't, and any of the friends that I did have were my older brother's friends. They're kind of both of our friends to an extent, but they're first his, and I felt like I was just along for the ride. That information did leak from him to the particular group of friends and more. So the next time we gathered together at school, I remember I went to a small private Christian school, so it wasn't just hanging out with one class we did. It was uh, like seventh through ninth grade tended to swarm together. So anyway, we were gathered up. I don't remember after school sometime, maybe lunchtime. And when there was a little extra time, we could play some board games. Anyway, I was hanging out with my friends, my brother's friends, all these, the just the only people really that were there. And someone asked, well, why do you hang around them if they're not your friends? I don't know her intentions behind the questions, but to me it was just being a bully. And it only further expanded the chasm of, I don't get to have friends. And often the few friends that I would have enjoyed the friendship for a time, but as they discovered how weird I was, we drift apart. Friends friends as an adult are actually largely similar. The perk, however, is... I have a job and a family, and I'm not constantly around my friend group. Otherwise, they would get tired of me and tired of my antics, and the same situation would arise. But now, when I'm only around them maybe once a week, it's a little, uh, a little more tolerable to be around me. Left of normal kids often have sensory issues. Not really issues. Uh, That implies that something is bad. Issue is a negative. Has a negative connotation here. Uh, Perhaps quirks or desires is a better word for it. Those sensory desires often mean we enjoy the feeling of something like mud between our toes or sand sifting between the fingers or otherwise flopping around in the dirt. More than once, I remember coming inside after playing near the creek that ran behind our house when we lived in Oregon, and I was just coated in mud, much to my mother's dismay. When my son was younger, we would often go for walks, especially before he was in school full-time, or, you know, he's preschool and got out at like noon or so, and my wife is a teacher, so she'd still be teaching. And if the weather allowed and we had the time, we'd go down to the river with the dogs or maybe over to the park. One of his favorite places to go was Two Moon Park uh, because it was a little bit more rustic. And there was this area where the sand from the river had drifted up and kind of made this like little sand dune. A couple of them, actually. I would wander around, chase the dogs, uh, poke at some algae, collect some neat rocks. And he would bury his toes in the sand 
and then coat his entire body and i'd look over and he'd like literally you know how a bird takes a little dirt bath it was kind of like that he'd just be flopping around dirt everywhere sand everywhere to this day you give him kinetic sand or put him in a sandbox and it's just like he's super content he is drawn to those things like a moth drawn to something that entices moths moths for now you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right and if it feels right then it must be left thanks for tuning in don't forget please like comment subscribe join the facebook community and feel free to ask questions you have over there you can turn anonymous posting on if you don't want to have the world know your questions i'll be able to see it but i'm not going to call you out remember many of these left of normal childhood quirks aren't seen as asd symptoms until you really look back at them so take some time to really get to know your kid and understand why they do the things they do and of course share this podcast with your friends whether they are left normies or right